This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown, Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, joined by Nick Stevens. Top of the week three morning to you, Nick. If you could just refer to me by my uh, player name, Javorius Buck Nick Stevens, that would be great. If you could spell that, I'll say it. (laughs) How about that? Deal. Yeah. Uh, How do you feel a week later about the 2017 season, the topsy-turviness I think the offense has just absolutely sucked so far. Ooh. I think we have watched a lot of bad offensive football. Yeah. I think offensive line play is perhaps at its nadir. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm not one of these arena football guys that loves points paloozas, but I I don't even feel like it's great defense. I just feel like it's really slipshod offense. Uh, like Belichick's idea that the September has become like an extension of the preseason. Yep. I'm buying that. It, like teams still are are not working enough in August so that they get to September with much rhythm offensively. It looks like people are still struggling with integration and memorization formations. It's just a lot of talent pushing and muscles out there yeah. right now. There's There are very few clean plays. And if there are clean plays in games, there's a good chance they're going to be contentious, potentially uh, a violation, or somebody is going to have to try to convince the refs that it's okay to push within a yard or two. There's Everything's sloppy. I mean, everybody wants a penalty on every third play. Yeah. Somebody's hurt on every fourth play. An amazing rash of early season injuries. Yeah. I. Is it because, I mean, this is the new chicken and the egg discussion. Is is it because now the players are just too big and too fast and that the human body in this game at the sustained speeds that they have, excuse me, rather at the speeds they play it cannot sustain football? Or is it because it's a lot of slap and tickle from June through August with a couple of joint practices and then come September, oh, this is real and now everybody's I, I think it's all of those things and more. And I, I just think it's a cumulative effect. It's not one thing. It's many things that have kind of the lack of practice time, the offensive line play coming out of college where they really don't play anything close to offensive tackle NFL style. Nope. And it really has become that, you know, I say this every year, too, but the tackling is abysmal, too. It's just arm tackling and guys kind of just whiffing. Um, But, yeah, it was, you know, on a Sunday, Nick, what I do – I write my column, Snap Judgments, which I've been writing, I think, since 2004, maybe. And I basically watch the Red Zone channel and take notes. And that's usually a pretty good, you know, mix of what what is happening around the league. I had a hard time plowing through any section of, like, Cardinals, Colts, uh, Bills, Ooh. Panthers. Cardinals, Colts should have been the first NFL game where they pay you to sit through. Oh, I mean, it was just it was brutal at times, and then the week started obviously with that classic in Cincinnati between the Texans and the Bengals. That thirteen-nine had one play worth watching: Deshaun Watson's forty-six-yard touchdown scramble. Hey, but wait! If you bought Texans at Bengals, may I offer you Rams Forty Niners this yeah, Thursday? I know the Thursday night football is off to a hot start. Right I'm out, actually, right out the gate. I'm actually, I'm a little eager to watch the Rams just to see. <laughs> Very hey, nice. act, act now, producer Kevin, and I'll throw in the Ravens and Jaguars on a Sunday morning football from London. Yeah, that's not one I'm going to be eager to see at 9:30 this Sunday. I, d- as I well. really don't get it. It's the schedule is bad football. The schedule is brutal. Don, let me let me let me ask this, and maybe even put this balloon up in the air. Uh, could you? Could would you? Could the argument be made that watching the red zone is almost now the only enjoyable NFL experience? Because trying to sit through a whole game, a, a whole game, an entire game, I don't is think becoming I could do a it. tough experience. It's yeah. really not that fun. No. Or it hasn't been so far. I mean, look, we're, 
every five years or so, you, or every couple of years, you're going to get a Super Bowl 51, maybe. But a whole game is now turning into a slog. And the other point being, a couple of weeks ago, we had Kevin Clark from The Ringer on who said the 2007 Patriots changed the NFL with their offense and going mostly shotgun and spread formations and everything. And you just mentioned a little while ago that college offensive lines, do not they're not playing the same game at all anymore. So did the 2007 Patriots almost, I hate to say this, but ruin football? You could, I guess you could look at it that perspective. I don't mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't mean ruin football. Change but it in a way that's may, a... maybe not for the better. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. I mean, you know what? We should ask our guests this week. We're going to have... CBS NFL analyst Dan Fouts, obviously a Hall of Fame NFL quarterback, long time for the Chargers. We're going to have him on in a while. There's so many things I want to talk to him about. One, uh, he's going to call the game at Foxborough at Gillette this weekend, Texans versus Patriots. I want to talk to him about Deshaun Watson. I want to ask him about playing quarterback uh, at the age that Tom Brady's playing. I want to ask him a lot about the Chargers. Um, I wrote a story for The Athletic that ran yesterday on what I think was one of the most embarrassing spectacles in recent NFL history, and that was, you know, the Chargers' home opener against the Dolphins. Now, you can pair it with the Rams playing before 56,000 at the Coliseum on the same day um, as this first test of how much NFL fever LA really has but the Chargers were just an absolute joke not only could they not sell out the 27,000 seat StubHub Center in Carson um, but Dean Spanos the owner gets booed at halftime Um, the cannon goes off as the Chargers kicker misses the 44 yard potential game winning field goal and even Phillip Rivers hears a crowd roar and doesn't know if it's a roar for the Chargers or for the visiting Dolphins, who last I checked, uh, reside somewhere quite uh, a whole continent away from the Chargers. So it couldn't, worst case scenario, doesn't do it justice. And I want want Mr. Fouts to weigh in on that one. I feel like the Chargers are almost becoming like an ABA team. Or or, or that they're like the football team equivalent of a a Will Ferrell movie. It's just a... They, they're they're playing out the same script every week. Fall behind, come back, throw touchdowns to people I've never heard of before, and then somehow botch or miss a field goal in the end of the game when you could have won a game that you should have lost this and is, they, that they do end up deservedly losing. It's unbelievable. This is not a two-week story, folks. People in San Diego will tell you this is a three- or four-year story. Yeah. I mean, under Mike McCoy, which is why I thought it was so delicious in the irony category that Mike McCoy was on the other side of the sideline, watching as Denver's offensive coordinator, watching a movie that he knew the ending to ever so well in week one uh, on Monday Night Football. There the, he is, the experience, <laughs> all of his experience coming together. Look at his face. It's possible that Mike McCoy truly was and here he is, having the time of his life. the time of his life. Okay, we can't go down the Sergio Dip uh, Avenue a second straight week as much as I would like. I'd like to also talk to Dan Fouts about the idea of the spread offense and having a more pass-based offense because Air Coriel, I mean, there's a reason why growing up in the suburbs of Boston with a football-friendly family, like the term Air Coriel was not something that wasn't, you know, it was a, it was a familiar term yeah, in our house. Yeah, it stuck in your head. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it was really part of uh, the we landscape. We kind of started this off. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there is some good football being played so far in the NFL. A little the, bit. The AFC is, AFC West is basically a, a, um, a little dynasty so far. You have the Raiders, Chiefs, and Broncos all at 2-0. and The aforementioned Chargers at 0-2, mm-hmm. um, two near misses. Who do you believe the most in of that three-team AFC West triumvirate? I'm a believer in the Raiders. I'm buying the Raiders stock. I, I think too. that's the most complete team. As good as the Chiefs look. And look, the Chiefs won a game that nobody picked them to win, and then they got it out a tough one against a very scrappy Eagles team at home last week. And doesn't matter. Just get the win. That's, that's all that matters. That's why I give the Chiefs, you know, if we did power rankings, and I hate them, but if we did mm-hmm. them, I would say the Chiefs have the two quality wins. Yep. You can't give the Raiders too much credit for a home blowout win against the Jets. Um, the Broncos have two quality wins, but one was against the Chargers team that beats itself. 
Um, and then one was a thorough dismantling of the Dallas Cowboys. But they were both at home. I like what the Chiefs have done. Going into Foxborough is as tough an assignment as there is in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And then, as you say, the, that Eagles team gave them all they wanted, and they responded in what could have been kind of a letdown situation. So I have to put the Chiefs at one, but I am a Raiders believer as well. I think I picked the Raiders for that division. I'll stick with it. That division is giving us some good football. Everybody else needs to catch up a little bit. Yeah. I I wonder if it's going to hold and that you'll see both wildcard teams coming out of there. I hope so. I, I, I think I think it would be great for the NFL. Yeah, I do, I too. I fun think teams. I, you know, I didn't see the Broncos as a wildcard team, and this is a huge week for them going to Buffalo. We'll see what they're made of on the road. The other story that I wanted to touch on early is um, – the New York football Giants. How did we miss on them? I think we both picked them to win the NFC East. Did we not? I picked the Eagles. You picked the Eagles. I'm an, okay. I'm an Eagles guy. I picked the Giants. Yes. And they're 0-2, and it has not been pretty at all. They got mm. they got thumped by Dallas, and then against Detroit on Monday night at home, um, they got kind of embarrassed. Uh, yeah. You could take kind of out of there. They got they were They were – roundly embarrassed when your coach your second year offensive coordinator turned head coach Grecian formula that's right when captain freedom comes out there post game uh, after a week two monday night embarrassment and throws the quarterback under the bus like yeah that's that's bad looks what do they like to say uh those are uh those are bad optics yeah it was a bad look and it's a terrible look but enough about his hair though Um, (laughs) did let me ask you this question did eli drop all those passes Uh, No, he did not and insert giselle my husband cannot throw the ball and catch all the passes (laughs) say it say it with the accent (laughs) my husband yeah he cannot throw the ball and catch the ball too um not only did eli not drop those passes Eli was not responsible for those sacks either Mm -hmm. I mean Eric Flowers was a turnstile and he's a mater d not a left tackle it was unbelievable how many times your seat on my quarterback is right this way Ziggy Ansah got back there so something's ringing a a bad uh, tone from McAdoo right now he changes the look he's decided he's going to be kind of oh look I can even talk tough to my quarterback all the rest of the guys have to fear me if I can call Eli out no it was the wrong message at the wrong time he stands up Monday night in the post game and says this one's on me and then he immediately says but my quarterback had sloppy play on one play disregarding the sacks disregarding the drop passes I thought he really misjudged the tone, and he better get it turned around quick because things can go south uh, very rapidly in that market. Yeah, I've heard the New York media is not so forgiving. Not, I not heard they always. can turn on you. They can be a little snide. Evan Ingram got one popped out by Darius Slave yep. near the goal line he could have held on to. Brandon Marshall had two inexcusable drops. OBJ had a turn and burn that he decided to stop, drop, and roll with on a fourth down play. Nobody looked good. And I also don't like their – I mean, listen, it's all based off the offensive line. But they don't know who their best running back is. They don't know which way they want to go. In New England, they're using the diversity attack. They're using that little running back spread formation, which is working great for them now considering that their their entire wide receiving core is under the blue tent as we speak. But the Giants don't know what they're doing. I I think the Giants are a better team than – than they look right now. But I will say it's a pretty dangerous spot for them right now because I believe that if they can't get that O-line fixed, it's going to continue to look like a complete cluster you-know-what on offense. And I don't think they're good enough, even with Beckham healthy, I don't think they're good enough to overcome really bad offensive line play. And the obvious point is they did nothing to improve it and that was their weak weakness last year right and it looks like they just put their head in the sand and said we're going to be better and tapped their heels three times uh and believed it well is this like 2007 where they go down zero and two the media gets on their back and oh you know here they come again the new york football giants don't ever count them out you know what actually this isn't 2007 they celebrated 2007 monday night and then proceeded to tap dance all over that memory. Another reason why McAdoo picked the wrong time to call out Eli Manning. Like, not that night of all of all nights when you had the, the 07 Giants. And he, he kind of helped make that happen, as I recall. Uh, it was mildly influential. But... All right, we're not going to belabor this. Zeke's... 2-0 team, though, that I do not believe in as much. If you do... All right, so let's do this. You want to do... do that? Yeah, let's right. do that. Let's do the 2-0 team you don't yep. 
uh, believe in. So Who you got? You think there's more talent in the 0-2 Giants. I think there's a little more talent in the 0-2 Bengals. They can't be that bad. They can't be this. Oh, there's we're doing much. the 0-2 team. Yeah. We'll okay, the 0-2 the team that's not dead yet. Bengals. I'm saying the Giants because yep. I think they're better than this, and they're only a game out of, in, mm-hmm. of their division lead, and I've seen them come back from the dead. You're saying the Bengals. They can't, there's too much offensive talent there. I think it's a little early maybe to fire the offensive coordinator, but and they may have also faced two of the five best defenses in the conference, but, I mean, come on. With those three running backs, they got decent wide receivers. they got A.J. Green. So the you're best saying they, can, the, they can't score a touchdown in 2017? You're saying Marvin Lewis is Glenn Close in the tub and might have one more uh, back-to-life moment scare in him. Don't count him out yet. Okay. All right. Then, a 2-0 and team that you don't believe in. And there's eight of the 2-0s. and I'm not going to count Tampa Bay and Miami because they're both 1-0. and But which of the eight 2-0s and do you not really believe in yet? I don't see enough offense from the Ravens to think them worthy of 12-4, and 11-5, maybe even 10-6 and six yet. Maybe that defense challenges for that second wild-card spot, but that, there's just not, there's not, a, not a lot of offense at all. I, I buy that in that they've only beaten the Bengals and the Browns, mm-hmm. but I think that defense is it's, legit. It's ferocious. I think it's back to early, you know, early uh, 2000s uh, Ravens mode, so I think that that blueprint's worked pretty well in Baltimore. I'll give you a team, and I, I feel bad about saying this, but I'm going to go with the Lions as the 2-0 and team. Look, they looked great. Um, they didn't look great at home against Cardinals. They were kind of up and down, typical Good fourth Lions. quarter. Good fourth quarter, but bad start. Kind of classic Lion win. Mm-hmm. Then they go and blow the Giants' doors off. But I'll say, based on beating only, a, I think, a bad Cardinals team and a struggling Giants team, that I'm not ready to say uh, Detroit is playoff bound yet again. Although, like that defense a lot. It didn't Looks re- better. Yeah, Looks I mean better. when that pass rush is 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 really getting to the quarterback, then that secondary Darius Slay, big big play Slay, he really had a good game. Um, that's a that's a formidable defense, and obviously they've got some pieces of offense that can. Um, score and score in a hurry. So I'll go with the Lions, caveat that it's just a little too early and level of competition. I'll tell you who also liked the Lions, John Gruden. I'll tell you what. i tell you. That who, d- who doesn't Bo- he like? Bob Quinn. i tell you, Bob Quinn, he got a lot of good football players on this team. I'll tell you what, man, I like this team. They come to play. They hit people hard. They tackle. It's tackle football. I'll tell you what, Sean. I, I love. I used to keep track of how many mics he would drop in when he was with Tarico. Yeah, it was almost like a drinking game. But uh, he's got it down now because he doesn't go. He doesn't slip up and go back to Mike. But he drops Sean in about every seventh word. I love it. It's like a little uh, device for him. You know, it kind of keeps his thoughts organized. If he can just say Sean. Uh, uh, at least once every 10 seconds. That's like the the Gruden system has to reset itself by saying Sean or by the name of his play-by-play guy. I tell you what, when you you look at Romo versus Gruden, like one bringing such unique perspective and calling all the plays in advance and the other one, the cliche factory, each provides their own level of entertainment, but I think Romo's off to a great start. I do too. Yeah. Now, I I can see where this Nostradamus thing could get a little uh, tiresome in time. If he's going to start to call out every play, you know, Nance is going to, first of all, Nance is going to be totally overshadowed, and he'll probably be pining for Phil Sims. He already is. Yeah. But it's really... Security blanket, in other words. Yeah, I said that. There it is. Tony, you're doing well, Tony. You need a security blanket, but you're doing well. Um I think he's he's having fun, and it kind of shows. I mean, I kind of hear him just, wow, this is great. I see things. <laughs> I see dead people, and right. others don't, and I can call it out on television. Yeah, and no one's broken his back yet either. So he, he's, he's two weeks into the season, and he's not injured at all. So That's, I uh, think he's – look, it's, it is fun, but – by the thir- late third, early fourth quarter, like okay, I got it, Tony. Yeah, you can yeah. see all the plays. Let's just let's just let us try to imagine what the play call is going to be or where it's going to go. Don't don't make me start lowering the volume and don't overdo it. Yeah, don't turn into. 
I always felt like the best part of John Madden was before anyone told him he was really, really funny and colorful and and real and original. I felt like once everybody jumped on that point, mm-hmm. he was like, ah, I got to be original. I got to be funny. Um, and it, it got a little contrived towards the end. What Romo needs to do is you know, continue to be spontaneous with the, you know, I get this play call, I see the formation, but don't overdo it because I've already seen a little pushback on social media like, ah, he's, you know, he's he's a little full of himself. He's a little annoying. Pick, he's got to pick his spots. Yes. Hokey exactly. pokey with the play calling. Exactly. All right, another topic I thought, looking back at week two, that I was really surprised at. Jay Cutler, protector of the football. That's new. Who knew? I never never thought it possible. Yeah. It's it really must be the Adam Gase factor, but even in Chicago that year, twenty fifteen, he didn't he, you know, he had his share of turnovers, but he looked like he was he played under control. He wasn't the reason uh the lead reason by any stretch that Miami won that game nineteen seventeen at uh against the Carson Chargers. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest, he played really well. And they can win with that Jay Cutler. That was good Jay Cutler. If nobody was there to watch it, did it happen? I know. It's, it really is the, the, the first question uh, that comes to mind is, like, if the fight for L.A. is going on and no one notices or cares, is it really a fight? How about when you add up the Coliseum and yeah. the StubHub Center, the soccer pitch? Right. That's basically Arrowhead. <laughs> two L.A. teams can barely fit Arrowhead. Well, and the two NFL attendance figures did not equate to the USC-Texas. Now, that was a big game for USC. Sure. And I think the Rams will do better if they win a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that they had to sell basically half of Carson to uh, Dolphins fans was pretty disturbing. I Again, I want to talk to Fouts about this, but I talked to people um, with knowledge of how the league is feeling and they say the league is the league office is shocked that this thing has gone as far south as it has already. Mm-hmm. There was no honeymoon. There was no novelty factor. There's some real hand wringing. Like, oh my God, we can't put up with this for three years before Inglewood Stadium opens um, and 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 solves all our problems with its opulence. Though, if if they if they open at twenty five thousand in a soccer pitch. In a, the, at the StubHub Center that seats up to 30. They can't sell out the opener, and they're going to have to stay there for Year another one. three years? Someone they they got to tuck and run. they have to. They got to go back. They're, they're going to have to triple their crowd in Inglewood. Basically, if you're going to sell 70000 you're tripling what you're selling now. Is that going to happen for a Chargers team that, you know, unless they catch magic and a uh, lightning in a bottle and Sam Darnold is their quarterback – how is it going to happen that that team is going to get so popular that they're going to triple what they're pulling now in year one? Oh, and let me pay $100 for parking. Yeah. How about the fact that it's $100 for parking, but you'll be able to get tickets probably off StubHub at the StubHub for Center for like bucks. 5 bucks? <laughs> it's crazy. Parking it, will cost 20 times what it costs to actually get into the game. Chagrined is not strong enough a word for what the NFL is feeling these days. They're, they're, someone said to me, it's very bitter fruit that they're swallowing with with the reality of of what this looks like right now they're all about optics they know the optics are horrible and frankly in their heart of hearts this league and this commissioner did not want to leave san diego they just didn't they wanted one team in la they felt like they had to do dean spanos a solid because he kind of gotten you know he got outmaneuvered by Jerry Jones and Stan Kroenke with the Rams going the year before and getting the vote. And they felt like Dean's been the good soldier. He's been the league guy. He's waged a 10-year battle in San Diego to upgrade Qualcomm. So it's kind of his turn. They're already regretting it. Don't be shocked if there aren't, you know, options floated for getting back to San Diego sooner than later. Way sooner than later. I think they rushed both situations. I they didn't have to rush the Rams out there with a with a stadium that wouldn't be ready for three to four years. They didn't have to rush the Chargers out of there. At these stadiums that they could use upgrades. These markets they could use a revised battle plan and some better marketing. But two football teams in LA, it's never sustained two football teams. Why now? Well, yeah. when it's when it's more expensive and the home viewing environment is becoming more attractive by the day, and 
the live viewing experience is becoming more expensive every day too. They've lost they lost two football teams for a reason. They lost the Rams and the Raiders for a reason, and that's because they did not put enough seats. It wasn't an expansion draft. It wasn't an accident. Right. It happened on purpose. Exactly, exactly. All right, last thing before I believe we're going to be joined by Dan Fouts in a few minutes. You know, there was a lot of chatter this week. I think Beckham kind of led the way about players saying enough with the fantasy football hounding that they get on social media and Beckham's ankle injury has been kind of the centerpiece of this but Golden Tate the Lions receiver basically tweeted you know people you know this is real life I don't care about your fantasy team so this gets to our our little point counterpoint section um as I've said to you I think the most popular thing both negative and positive in response mostly negative was something I wrote back in the summer of 05 for Sports Illustrated, and it was 10 Reasons I Hate Fantasy Football. And I didn't write it just because I was trying to be provocative, even though a lot of people thought that. I I really don't like fantasy football. I really have never played it. I don't want to. I have my reasons. They're not changing. And then I went back five years later and wrote kind of an update for it. But I think this is a good week to do it. I don't like it. For so many reasons, first and foremost, the blurred loyalties. I am not a football fan per se because I cover the sport, but I am a huge baseball fan, and it's the Red Sox. And I'm not going to play fantasy baseball and root for a bunch of players on teams trying to beat the Red Sox because I may win. Blurred loyalties is reason one for me. I've been playing fantasy sports for close to 20 years now. I'm a huge fantasy football fan. Fantasy baseball got so labor intensive that I had to peace out on it a couple of years ago. I just my interest waned. But and I've you got did too play it life. for a while. I did, and then I had kids, and then life responsibilities stepped in the way, and I thought, oh, I could spend the exact same amount of time every day, growing a human or growing a bunch of ones and zeros of rich people that I'll never meet who play a game that I stunk at as a kid. Fantasy football was great. Again, Sundays get together with your friends, buckets of uh, adult sports water, salty food, bragging rights talking smack you know and i actually won some money at it as well and did a couple of tv and radio shows about it but that said it and i appreciate don the fact that is and i mentioned this to you before that it has grown the nfl's revenue from a billion dollars in 2000 to now 10 billion dollars here comes the the, don't bite the hand that feeds you exactly which i've heard plenty of it's nfl's not a 10 billion dollar a year business by accident now yeah i look i get that and I, i know i'm outside the norm on this um, you can dislike it, but, I, it can't, I, but it can't overkill. Well, it's not going anywhere. Um, I, I'm not saying it should go away. I do. The market's pretty saturated, though. I, I agree. Everybody and their brother has taken a slice of that. And you wonder how much room it has to grow at this point. And DFS now. Right. That's, cha- that's just heightened the game. Basically, that was already a, it was already like a 70-story skyscraper, and now they just built a 50-story one right next door to it, and it's a full complex now. Yeah, and, you know, not not to rehash my whole list, but I, I still think it glorifies the stats accumulator, you know, over the team player. And as a kind of a purist of the sport, I don't particularly like that. I mm-hmm. still think, yes, I know there are leagues where defense can be more uh, predominant, but by and large, it's it's a game about offensive stats and those who – who score touchdowns. Right. You don't draft, I hate to say it, but you don't draft a guard who's really great at pulling. Right. Yeah, and, and so you get this very, very uh, skewed view of the game. And How many fantasy points did you get for chop blocks avoided or like, you know, great, great, how many smash mouth points did you get? No, it's completely about the glorification of the game. It, the, the explosion of fantasy football it's like Bill Polian enabled it in a lot of ways by allowing by arguing for less contact and a more offensively productive NFL. Wow. I wonder if Bill even realizes that he that was, he actually is had responsible for the onset of fantasy football. Huh? And it's somehow om- I, I, I'm and guessing Bill doesn't play I, fantasy I'm, football. I'm guessing he's not. I'm we'll looking ask right him here. The next time he's a guest on like Cover to, Two podcast, if he ever sort of did a little deep dive on his own handiwork there. I'm looking right now. You talked about Golden Tate and. Odell Beckham Jr., I'm on LeGarrette Blunt's What did he say? Uh, Sunday, September 17th, I really could care less about y'all fantasy teams. Get out of my mentions with that blank. Very subtle. I'm so happy. Very subtle. I'm rooting for him in Philadelphia. I loved him here in New England. Very subtle. 
And good for him. I, Can you imagine how annoying it would be? How annoying would it be if after a game it's like, hey man, uh, yeah, if you could have just got, if, if you could have not allowed Zach Crockett or Mike Tolbert to vulture that touchdown for you, that would have been great. What's up with that? Like, buddy, I'm lucky I'm walking. I I'm know. trying, I mean, I'm. I'm I think they're to... actually – it's amazing the restraint they show the players. Because, they should go off on them. Yeah, and you know what? Like if you're trying to rehab an ankle and you want to get back on the field and they're actually pretending that you being back on the field impacts them more mm -hmm. than it impacts you and, and their fantasy team. And, I, you know, I don't always like what Beckham – uh, decides to go off on, but in this case, I'm I'm right there with him. I would love to produce a PSA for the NFL called "We Don't Care About Your Fantasy Team." That would. How about a pod? That would be a pretty good pod. It would be great to have NFL players on every week, right? And discuss who they had on their. I'd, I'd like to hear NFL players bitching at each other about their disappointment in fellow league members and teammates. I would listen not to producing. that. That I would listen to. I would definitely listen to that. All right, this Wednesday morning, joined now, as promised, by Dan Fouts, longtime NFL CBS sports analyst, but also a Hall of Fame quarterback for the San Diego Chargers. And, Dan, that already sounds strange to say San Diego Chargers. I I'm, I'm have to admit, I um, one of the first things I would want to talk to you about was um, your kind of assessment of this first weekend of seeing both L.A. teams at home and specifically – um, a Chargers game that clearly did not turn out to be the best-case scenario for that franchise's new start in Carson at the StubHub Center. Your thoughts on how that went on Sunday? Well, <clears throat> do you like irony? <laughs> I do. Uh, it, it, it's ironic that the Chargers playing in a soccer stadium missed a game-winning field goal. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Again, about that I for a second. Yeah. Again, uh, for the second straight week, I should say. Yeah, it's all about it's all about kicking in a soccer stadium. I um I did a story yesterday, Dan, talking to people kind of within the league, and there is an amazing amount of concern and um almost disbelief at how quickly the situation has gone south, uh, so to speak. Um with the Chargers move and they're not they're going to keep a stiff upper lip and they're going to say that we're going to have to grow this thing but there's already some people in the league who are saying this thing is going to be a long hard slog for three years if we're going to just close our eyes and 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 keep saying the magic word Inglewood Inglewood and wait for that stadium in 2020. Um, do you believe that the Chargers can kind of carve out that niche in that market or will it possibly lead to other options being considered before we even get to 2020 well they got to win you know that's the bottom line in, in uh really anywhere but probably more importantly in los angeles area because there is so much competition for the sports dollar um and also the you win with style or at least with tradition in los angeles uh so if you look at uh, the two best teams right now, as far as popularity are concerned in the Los Angeles area, they're UCLA and USC, and uh, they're doing quite well drawing uh, drawing fans to their games. But as I said, the competition for the dollar is uh, is tough, and especially when it's an expensive dollar, as it is uh, with the Chargers in the StubHub Center. Dan Fouts is going to be the color analyst for this Sunday's. <clears throat> Houston at New England game. Uh, Dan, you played until you were 36. I was looking at your record, and and that was, you know, that's a long career. Um, and yet now when you stand back and see what Mr. Brady is doing at the age of 40, can you give us a firsthand assessment of how remarkable it is to see him play at that level, knowing what your body goes through uh, even to play to the age of 36? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it is totally remarkable, and, and it'll be interesting to see how he, how he continues to play at, at that age. Uh, but uh, based upon what he did last week uh, against New Orleans, it looks like he'll be able to play for quite a long bit longer. He, he said a couple of years ago he wanted to play until he was 45, and everybody kind of chuckled. I don't think people are chuckling that <laughs> as much anymore about Tom because uh, he keeps himself in such great shape. He's got a, a tremendous regimen with diet and exercise. Plus, he, he benefits, you know, as all quarterbacks do now, from the fact that you can't really hit a quarterback 
uh, and especially he is, uh, you know, protected quite well by by the officials because, you know, he is the face of, of the National Football League for so many years. Yeah, Dan, uh, this is Nick Stevens. Uh, what do you think about Deshaun Watson heading into the game? This will be his second start in the NFL. It's another road start for him, and he faces a pretty daunting task, not necessarily against the Patriots' defense, which has given up plenty of yards and a couple of points so far in the season, but being a rookie quarterback on the road against a Bill Belichick-led defense. Usually this is the kind of game where people are talking about that Houston defense giving Brady a hard time like they did back in January, but I think people aren't talking much about how the Belichick defense can give Watson a really hard time. Yeah, you know, and the other side of that is is when you're seeing Brady playing so well and the points that he's capable of putting up, uh, for any other quarterback on the other side of the field, you feel that pressure too. Uh, to keep up, to keep pace, to uh, not make a mistake, not have a turnover that gives the, your opponent a short field. So there are a lot of factors that go into a, a young quarterback playing uh, against a you know a legend in Bill Belichick and what he can do defensively, but also in Tom Brady, uh, another legend, and what he can do offensively. So it's a challenge for Deshaun Watson, and I'm anxious to talk to him before the game about his preparation and, and what he's thinking, really, and what uh, his concerns are. Uh, he's a cool customer. He's, you know, his track record in college is just awesome. Uh, but this is a this is a different uh, level, obviously. Dan, do you see the goods with Watson yet? I mean, basically, people are getting excited about the forty-six yard touchdown, but you can't make a living in the NFL scoring touchdowns with your legs as a quarterback. You've got to affect the defense with your arm. It's clearly a work in progress, but are you hopeful that this guy may be the answer in Houston long-term? Well, that's just it. It is a long-term deal. Uh, everybody wants uh, instant gratification uh, in sports. They want the number one pick to, to be the best player, and, and to, you know, especially a quarterback position, because here Houston has had so many quarterbacks, and, and they've all uh, failed, basically. Uh, they took Watson for a reason. They liked what they saw. Uh, in his uh, demeanor, they like the way he competed, they like his athleticism, all these things. But learning how to play quarterback in the National Football League is not a one or two game thing where all of a sudden you're a tremendous success. Uh, it's going to take a while. And uh, as we talked about, this is going to be a heck of a challenge for him going into Foxborough and playing the patch. Yeah, we've seen some success with Adam Gase in Miami being able to turn Ryan Tannehill, Matt Moore, and now Jay Cutler into an 11-6 and record so far. He seems to really be the QB whisperer du jour in the NFL, but Bill O'Brien has several years into his tenure in Houston on that same reputation. What do you think it would be like to be a quarterback on Bill O'Brien's uh, mystical quarterback carousel? Well, you know that you got to perform, number one, and uh, he's he obviously has had success in the past, uh, you know, with the Patriots and Tom Brady, but, uh, you know, a lot of people seem to have had success with Brady. Uh, but, you know, a lot goes into playing the position, and, and a lot goes into the surrounding cast and, and the, the offensive line. You know, one thing that Deshaun Watson, one big thing that Deshaun Watson could use this week is Dwayne Brown, uh, but he's right. not going to be there, yeah. apparently. And so, you know, the pass protection throughout the league has been – really pretty shoddy, uh, and uh, there are very few teams that, that can say they've got an outstanding offensive line. Dan, we, we saw the Texans give the Patriots a, a half uh, of a good game in the playoffs last year. It's really the only time that you've walked away and said Houston looked like the better team, and then obviously in the second half, New England um, took care of business. Do you believe that this team has closed the gap with New England? And I guess what are you what are you expecting Sunday in terms of how competitive Houston can be coming into Foxborough? Always a tough place to play. Well, I think confidence has a lot to do with it, and uh, defensively they've got to start out and, and give their offense uh, some confidence because you know if you can take the crowd out of the game early and, and frustrate Brady as they did in the playoffs last year in that first half, uh, then your offense uh, says, hey, you know, we're in this thing. Uh, we don't have to score every time. We can play ball control. We can we can do some things that take time off the clock. And, and I think that's the type of formula you need 
obviously you want to keep Brady and the offense on the sidelines. And with the Houston defense, they're capable of, of uh, you know, really shutting teams down. Remember last year they did not have J.J. Watt in that playoff. Right. Game. So uh, now they do, and uh, Watt is the ultimate uh, disruptor and somebody that the Patriots are going to have to really focus on. Dan, I want to ask you a question about the, the NFL overall today. Uh, obviously, you were involved in a very pass-heavy, if not really almost the first pass-heavy offense back in Air Coriel, a favorite whenever the Patriots weren't playing in my household growing up. Uh, do you think, though, that there's maybe too much emphasis on the pass in today's NFL? You know, it started years ago, uh, the 2007 Patriots going back to the sh- all-shotgun offense, and now it seems like offenses are geared towards garnering fantasy stats, and I know that's not what coaches are thinking about, but is this too pass-heavy in NFL now? Because it seems like there's a lot of early, sloppy, pass-heavy gameplay. Well, I think that goes back to a bad offensive line play and pass protection. Uh, but one thing you'll notice as uh, this season goes on, and we're already getting a glimpse of it, is the return of the running game and the power running game. Uh, defenses to stop the pass have had to get smaller and faster uh, to cover the field and to cover tight ends and to cover running backs out of the backfield. So uh, your linebackers basically are no longer your 250-pound you know, smash mouth type of guys. So because defense has gotten smaller, offenses now are gearing up for the run, getting better uh, run blocking offensive lines. You look at what the Raiders have been able to do. You look at the Cowboys, you look at the Tennessee Titans. Um, they're, they're run heavy. Uh, and, and that's the way they want to be uh, because they now feel they have an advantage against, uh, you know, smaller defenses. And you look at the young running backs uh, that are now Fortnette, and, and you look at uh, Derrick Henry, uh, two huge running backs who've had a lot of success here early in the season. Yeah, you're right. It is kind of a pendulum swing back. And I think it almost started with Dallas having so much success with DeMarco Murray in 2014. And it, you could start to see that where the running back was becoming a little bit more uh, centric, I guess, to an offense. Last question, Dan, we'll let you go. Um, again, we're with Dan Fouts on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens, and Dan's going to be calling uh, the game for CBS on Sunday, the uh, Texans at Patriots. We we started by asking you about what Brady is doing at the age of 40. I want to know, in your experience, what what went first in terms of your legs, your arm, your ability to do all the mental heavy <laughs> lifting that a quarterback has to do? What You were kind of a typical 22 through 36 playing at a high level. What I guess what forsakes you first as an NFL quarterback? Well, they fired my, my coach, Don Coriel. <laughs> <laughs> so, I knew I was next. You know, the new ownership came in and uh, – yeah, they get rid of one of the greatest coaches of all time, and I'm looking around. I'm saying, "Holy cow! Are you kidding me?" So uh, I, I think that that affected me more than anything. And uh, the the great thing about Tom Brady and his situation in New England is he's he's been with the same coaching right. staff basically uh, forever. And that's you know, if you look at Montana's career, uh, you look at Marino's career, uh, same coaches, same offensive system, same philosophy. That's how you build success for a quarterback, uh, not changing coordinators every year, not changing coaching staffs every year. But if you can stick with a, a system that uh, you've had success with and build upon it each year, uh, then it's going to make it not only easier for your quarterback, but for easier uh, for anybody that's on that offense, and this, including bringing in free agents and draft choices. So you played until 87. Was that Dan Henning, your last coach? No, it was Al Saunders. Al Saunders. So how much longer could you have played, and how much longer would you have wanted to play? Well, you know, physically I think I could have played a year or two more, but, uh, you know, the, the mental side of it, uh, once once you lose uh, a great coach like Coriel and the, uh, the focus of the offense changes um, from, you know, the way we threw the ball to more of a, you know, balanced attack and running attack, uh, then I knew that uh, my days were numbered. Dan, always great to talk to you. Looking forward to the telecast on Sunday. Dan Fouts, Hall of Fame quarterback and CBS NFL analyst. Thanks so much for your time on the Cover 2 podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. All the best. Thanks, Dan. Okay, we thank Dan Fouts for his time, and I'm looking forward to uh, 
listening to him. I always find him, he's very irreverent. Mm -hmm. he, he has fun. Uh, I've interviewed him uh, probably six or seven times, and he always he always leaves me laughing. He just has a good view uh, that not to take this game too seriously. He doesn't take himself too seriously. Uh, but, you know, Nick, there are other good games mm -hmm. other than the Texans-Patriots in Week 3. I don't find it to be an overwhelming schedule by any stretch. When you say other good games, you mean two or three yeah. games, right? You you mentioned the one. Why don't you tell people that the obvious number one choice, and it's a surprise, even two weeks ago we wouldn't have said this. Oh, yeah, Dolphins-Jets. No. <laughs> Try again. I can't believe Falcons-Lions is a marquee matchup. A 1 o'clock game in Detroit. Detroit week three is hosting probably the biggest game of the week, and that's two, our only two, two, two and zero versus two and zero, correct? I believe so, sir. Yeah. Well, here's why. One reason why it's good that again that Lions defense has been really kind of eye opening, especially against mm -hmm. the Giants on Monday night. It looks fast. It looks athletic. Bob Quinn got some good players out there. I'll tell you what, I like them, man. There's a little bit of Patriots uh, influence in this Lions team. Obviously, right. he's flipped the roster dramatically mm -hmm. in his two years. And then the Falcons coming off that big win at home against Green Bay. They're up 31-7 um, and then just kind of killed the clock after mm -hmm. that better than they did in February. Fast track first half offense. They looked unstoppable. The offense didn't look like it had missed much of a step going from Shanahan, now out in San Francisco, obviously, to Sarkeesian. They moved around. They moved the ball really well. When they get it going, they're scary. Yeah. They're so fast and Ryan puts the ball where the guys can get some yak, as they say, yards after catch. Donnie, you also interested, though, speaking of people that used to work for Bill Belichick in the player selection personnel department, I think Seahawks-Titans has my eye at 4 o'clock because I'm waiting for one of you to start to play better than you have. Right. You know, the Titans took advantage of um, one of the worst horror movies I've ever seen, The Bortles Effect, on Sunday. I right. Mean, that Jeez, oh, honestly. In Jacksonville, yep. yeah. It Just was an ugly game at ugly. halftime, 6 3, and Oof. then they blew their doors off with yep. 31 points in the second half. Right. I agree with you. The Seattle offensive line could be in for a very long day because mm -hmm. clearly they've been as ragged as any O line in the league. Seattle's 1 and 1, ugly win at home against the Niners, uh, 12 to 9. Tennessee, impressive road win, but it was against the Jaguars team that just simply um, showed up. You know, with no pass rush after mm -hmm. having ten sacks in Week One at Houston, so that's a one and one versus one and one that I think someone's going to come out feeling a lot better about themselves. Seattle, my Super Bowl pick, I might add, um, not inspiring confidence. There's also a game that I think has a chance to be good, and that's Raiders Washington. That's a little sentimental. That's Super Bowl eighteen. That's the first Super Bowl I was ever at as a journalist. Oh wow! In Congratulations. Tampa. January of 84. That was not a good game, though. No, it was not. 38-9. Right. Jack's, that was the, the Mark Wilson Marcus, demolition. Marcus, Marcus Allen. Just ran all over the Jack map. Jack Squirick. Mm -hmm. Joe, Joe Theismann, the interception out in the left flat. But yeah. um, here's why I like this game. I think the Raiders will, will come in and play a high-powered game. Washington can score with almost anybody when they, they sure get can. it going. So that I could see a shootout there. I could see 37-35 uh, with the Raiders uh, and Washington getting together, and that that could be fun. A game I'm not looking forward to, but I I think it could be telling is Broncos at Bills. I want to see Denver on the road look anything like they did at home the first two weeks. Trevor and, Simeon going to get a test this week, right. the same way that the same way that Mariota is going to face a test now with the the woken up offense at home against the Legion of Boom in Tennessee. You're going to see a test provided with a very game Buffalo defense. And this resurgent Trevor Simeon led Broncos offense on the road. I noticed you haven't called him a Northwest journalism. Uh, the seventh student. round journalist major. Yeah, yeah. since he's, he's thrown enough quarter, he's thrown enough touchdowns. Uh, on he's the season legit to quarterback now. He's way he? past that now. I mean, if you're Paxton Lynch, uh, your Uncle, chances, Uncle Rico, your chances in <laughs> Uncle Rico, your chances in Denver aren't looking all that good. Here's a name to look out for this week too, uh, Samaje Perine, the running back in. Washington, who should be starting over Fat Rob Kelly, who got dinged up last week. People say he is a star waiting to blossom. I've heard that. And again, if you he, can spell he it, the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you can, can spell if it, you can spell it. If you can say it, I wasn't sure. I heard that name. I, I heard that name, and I was like, "Don't I, I already watch?" Ryan. I watched a lot of Oklahoma football. <laughs> really, Samaj P. Ryan. Good for you. Some, 
Samaj right. Piran, is that what it is? Kevin sure Collins, is. Samaj our producer, Samaj. knows how to spell Sam it. J. Look, it sounds like the name of uh, somebody who hosts a show on CNN on Sunday nights that I watch, but <laughs> more, more to the more, Zakaya. More to the point, uh, I'd like to see if he pops, and maybe this is the spark for the Redskins offense that has yet to really get going. Okay, and then lastly, the game, I think we all just have to take our medicine and live through it, is nope. Ravens-Jags in London, the oh. first London game. I know, it, it's not going to be pretty. If there's ever been a reason for everyone to just wake up and go to church on Sunday morning. It's, it's the 9.30 <laughs> start. Ravens-Jags. Go to church, everybody. I, You know, I used to hate the early starts, and then last year, of course, they moved them, and it yep. was played in London like as a 6 p.m. London time start, 1 o'clock here. Is this now game streaming on Snapchat, or is it on Instagram? <laughs> it's streaming. I know that. It is streaming. Look, I don't expect we're going to see great offense in this game, but Baltimore, I think, comes home 3-0, and and they're mm-hmm. back to win and ugly, and I think you're gonna you're gonna be hearing about the Ravens as a legit team, um, even though it'll be Bengals, Browns, Jags, not exactly a murderer's row. Insert Bart Scott voice. Can't wait. It's not a week three that's high Can't on uh, on uh, big dramatic headline showdowns, but we got what we got, and we will watch it. A cover. Two podcast is in the books for week three. We had Dan Fouts on. We had lots of talk about a interesting week two. And um, now we will look ahead and see, first and foremost, what the Patriots do against the Texans in Foxborough. Join us again next week. Read me on The Athletic. Read me on Patriots.com. Nick, Pat can I hear you? Pat Show on Facebook. 3 to 7 every day, Monday through Friday on WAF, part of the Maddie and Nick Show. Go Pats. Thanks for listening once again. For Don Banks and Nick Stevens, Cover 2 Podcast, be well. Security blanket, in other words. Yeah, I said that. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 Podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal line. It's going A touchdown. And a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.